the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome to this Tuesday, the 6th day of February. And boy... What a difference a day makes, huh? U.S. stocks today have been taking, as we've seen the last couple of days, investors on quite the wild ride after two days of massive losses and a 116% spike in the volatility index. We saw markets today pose their biggest single rally in 15 months. The Dow opening the roller coaster day of trading more than 500 points lower. This on the heels of a loss of almost 1,100. 75 points yesterday. Then, of course, later today, we saw a surge 600 points higher, finally closing with a gain of 567 points to end the day at 24,913. The S&P 500 gaining 46 to close at 26,95. And the NASDAQ rocketing 148 points higher to finish at 71,16. This certainly has got investors a little bit on the nervous side. But what does it all mean, given the fact that we've seen such a spectacular increase on Wall Street? Since its low during the Great Recession of 2008-2009, almost a 400% increase, hard to really make noise about that. One has to wonder, does this say more about the nature of the economy than it does about an overheated market? Let's get some insights right now as we're joined by Pat Vitucci. Pat, of course, is a best-selling author. He's the host of Don't Invest and Forget Radio and has been involved in the world of retirement planning and money management for more than three decades. And, uh, Pat, as we have had these discussions down through the years, this seems to perhaps be yet another first, even in all the years that you've been involved as a Wall Street watcher and money manager. Uh, Certainly the events of the last couple of three days have got to be even first for you. Yeah, Craig, the last couple of days have just been absolutely bizarre. You know, as you mentioned, the, the flip-flopping and the, and the volatility, even today, this morning it was up 600, this afternoon down 300, then it went to zero, and ultimately closed uh, over a 500-point rise. So talk about a, a, a multi-day, multi-swing uh, within one day. Uh, it was just it was almost comical to watch, and the, the bulls and the bears kept kept fighting it out, and eventually the bulls won. But um, quite quite an interesting day, and I and I think as you as you point out, this is a healthy correction, Craig, and it was a long time coming. A year ago, that was twenty thousand; it went to twenty six thousand. That's a pretty incredible leap. Yes, conditions were conducive, but nevertheless, uh, that is a pretty meteoric rise. To be sure, and of course, to put this in all perspective, some folks, certainly at the end of yesterday, seeing and hearing in the news that this was the single biggest point decline in the history of the Dow, well, that might be true. And while 1,175 points sounds significant, in comparison to Black Monday of 1987, here's the difference. 
Yesterday's decline was only 4.6%. And, of course, we gained back um, better than half that or almost half of that today. Black Monday of 1987, the Dow dropped 22%. And I guess that's what we really got to look at here, Pat, isn't it? And, and that is to put everything into, into relevant numbers that make sense. It, it's easy, I suppose, to kind of get pulled into the vortex, uh, the, the whirlwind or the cyclone of the news cycle and the, the paranoia that we see demonstrated on uh, CNBC and Fox News and, and everywhere else, isn't it? Yeah, it really is is code. You've got to look at the at the percentages, and I think those are the the right the right way to to look at it. Certainly, you don't want to panic. You don't want to sell. And in fact, if you're a long term investor, there's a little bit of a buying opportunity. So it it's kind of a little bit of a Macy's White Flower Day sale when when things go on sale and take four or five six percent off your your price. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a long term investor, you've had too much money on the fixed income side, bonds, utilities, mortgages. Maybe it's time to nibble in at some equity markets that will, um, you know, withhold. I think, I, I think I'm still very bullish on 2018. We've got a, a terrific new tax law passed by President Trump that clearly is uh, already establishing uh, some really unusual decisions by Apple and GM and Ford and lots of other companies bringing manufacturing back to the USA. Where have we heard that last, Craig? Uh, probably back in the 1950s. <laughs> there, there's absolute truth to that. And I guess we need to, to separate here the frothiness from some of the underpinning fundamentals because, uh, you know, we heard a lot of speculation yesterday and certainly on Friday, does this mean the start of a recession, things of this sort. But but this kind of volatility on Wall Street doesn't really uh, suggest that there's something now suddenly wrong with the fundamentals of the economy that would rise to the occasion of another pending recession, does it? No, I think it's the exact opposite. It's a classic, uh, too much good news becomes bad news. Uh, unemployment numbers hit a 17-year low. Wages hit a seven-year high. Corporate profits are just very, very attractive. As I mentioned, Trump's new new, new uh, tax law. So the fundamentals of the economy are the strongest I've seen in many, many years. And so the, the question is, will the new Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Powell have to raise rates three or four times to slow this, this brisk economy down, the big fear, of course, you know, Craig, is inflation. We don't want to have inflation come in. Remember back in the uh, 70s, you get a certificate of deposit, a CD, for 13 14%. You thought, wow, that's a pretty good deal. Well, inflation was 13 or 14%. So you were making literally nothing. So that's the issue is to tame that inflation dragon and uh, to have that balancing act of what the Federal Reserve does not having a too overheated economy. And right now, we've got a GDP in excess of 3%. We haven't had a 3% gross domestic product uh, in many, many years. Well, maybe this is just sort of the markets trying to um, offer a big welcoming party to uh, the new Fed chair, Jerome Powell, who, uh, on the heels of the work of Janet Yellen and certainly Ben Bernanke uh, before her, had their hands full in that position. Um, Actually, uh, Jerome inherits a pretty healthy economy, but do do we have to pray for him that he doesn't make any rookie mistakes here when you see things like what we witnessed yesterday and on Friday? 
Well, that's certainly uh, certainly a valid comment. We're taking taking wait and see attitude. He he'll react uh, perhaps very differently. Janet Yellen, I thought did a did a pretty good job of of studying this um, this whole economy. Uh, Alan Alan Greenspan was the uh, the most recent Fed chairman that I could recall that had that steady hand. In fact, he was called the maestro, and and even in the late '90s, early early part of the century. Uh, when things got really hot, he called it irrational exuberance, and maybe, maybe we can if we can use that same term today. It just the, the the Dow Jones, the Nasdaq, the S and P just got a little too irrationally, too frothy, uh, such a high level that it had to correct. And again, it's a healthy correction, and I don't think it's anything more than that. Is in my in my viewpoint. Of course, this does raise questions as to whether or not it signals a little bit of an overstimulated economy. I mean, I think of the massive tax cuts that we saw handed down late last year and the exuberance on Wall Street. We saw a massive increase in trading from the time those cuts were passed through the end of January. Uh, certainly, it's been a, a popping, a popping of champagne bottles all across Wall Street. We've seen more money come to the economy. We're beginning to see a rise in wages. All of that from a Wall Street side of things uh, pretends to be uh, pretends to, to a very healthy level. But then, of course, it raises the question as to whether or not some of this frothiness, this this exuberance tied into things like the reduction of uh, taxes and certainly along with that, the regulatory changes. Good news all around for uh, Wall Street and Main Street, but could it end up um, overheating this economy to dangerous levels? Well, there's certainly some question. Uh, did we need the big the big tax break that President Trump uh, was successful in putting through? Um, you know, the economy was buzzing along nicely. Uh, I think the the biggest factor in that whole tax law. Yes, you and I will get a couple bucks less in taxes. The real issue is the corporate tax plan. The corporate tax uh, law now is corporate taxes go from 35% down to 21%. We've already seen Apple give the government $35 billion in revenue, announcement of 22,000 employees, GM moving a plan from Mexico to Michigan. Uh, The stories go on and on about uh, factories, very good-paying manufacturing jobs coming back to the good old U.S. of A. He campaigned on that, and by golly, he's delivering. So I'm really, uh, I'm really proud of the campaign and its ability, his ability to execute in a Congress that has been less than, less than uh, uh, cooperative. All right, of course, this raises questions, too, about uh, impact on the Treasury. We know that tax reductions also suggest that if we're going to continue levels of spending, the president's talked about more infrastructure investment. Certainly, we're, uh, we're well late for that. Uh, that might suggest then the U.S. Treasury needs to take on more debt. That could impact performance. There's also the issue of more money afoot. Greater GDP, that means potential inflation. And is the Fed potentially set to, let me rephrase the question, 
Does the Fed need to rethink the timetable for interest rate hikes? We'll pose that question to Pat Tatucci coming up right after a quick timeout. If you've just joined us, I hope you've got your seatbelt on. It's not only the law in California if you're driving, but very helpful if you have money invested in Wall Street, be as a 401k, an IRA, or uh, just your simple investments. It's been a real bumpy, wild ride the last three days. Today, things beginning to settle a bit down, but looking at the VIX, a spike of 116% in just 24 hours raises the question, how do we separate the noise from the fundamentals? And today, word that a number of so-called automatic trading sites, self-trading sites, TD Ameritrade, others that all went into tilt, overload because people try to respond to the events of yesterday. So is there concern here that reactionary in motion, that that approach where we're making decisions based on our heads, or I'm sorry, our hearts and not our heads, could this potentially cause problems? We'll talk about that next as we continue a look at Wall Street and your money. Pat Vitucci, principal of Vitucci and Associates and host of Don't Invest and Forget, which can be heard Saturday Mondays at 8 a.m., Mondays at 6 p.m., and Fridays at 1 p.m. You're taking notes on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. More information available on the web at don'tinvestandforget.com. Let's take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation, more of our look at Wall Street and your money as Lifeline continues. Let's get a look right now, though, at the road ahead and uh, your ability to get home on time as we have the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about Wall Street, your money. It's been a wild ride the last three days. Uh, Well, better today, certainly. We saw a nice uptick at the end of the day on the Dow. Um, In fact, the Dow added 567 points to end the day at 24,913. Not quite recuperation uh, totally from the losses on Friday and again on Monday, but at least it's headed in the right direction. We're visiting with financial expert Pat Vitucci. Pat has been in the world of retirement planning and money management for more than 30 years. Some might argue he's seen it all, but then again, these days, <laughs> there seems to be surprises around every corner for all of us. Um, here's the one question, Pat. The president has uh, touted much about the tax cuts and uh, the contribution to uh, stimulating the economy, but could it potentially overstimulate the economy to the point of convulsions? Is that part of maybe what we're potentially seeing here, concerns about inflation, uh, what that might mean if the Fed continues to double down on the notion of uh, slowly raising interest rates? Yeah, Craig, I think that's a good point. I think when the enthusiasm reaches this euphoric level, where everybody's giving you financial advice and stock pickings, and even somebody without an appetite for risk, somebody with a low level of uh, of, of enthusiasm and um, appetite for that kind of risk is now jumping into this market, that becomes a really troubling signal because now you're not sticking to your to your money profile, as we like to say, and you, you begin to take more risk because you're cubicle mate in the next uh, aisle over or your brainy brother-in-law you know gave you such great advice and he's doing so well and he bought bitcoin after all and he made a lot of money and he's been rubbing it in your face ever since you really want to avoid those kind of comparisons and and not 
do what others are doing. Stick to your guns. Stay to your to you, who you are in your own skin. And I think when we get through all this excitement, you'll feel a whole lot better about yourself. And so the point is, you don't want to panic on one side. You don't want to jump in the, the, the deep end of the pool if you've never had a swimming lesson. So it, it, it's kind of the same thing as just sticking to who you are financially and not trying not to be somebody else. We heard news that some of the so-called robo-advisor sites and some of these uh, self-trading sites like TD Ameritrade uh, went into uh, red tilt condition, uh, I suppose bogged down by people panicking and jumping online and trying to, to get all out just after they, uh, just more than a week ago, wanted to be all in. And I guess that raises questions here about um, just the whole emotional response. I mean, you hear news like the Dow was down over a thousand points, and it's hard not to react, even if you're not somebody who uh, peeks at your 401k every single day. How do you avoid not getting caught up in the panic, in the frenzy, especially, Pat, when that's fueled by uh, the 6 o'clock news and everybody that's out there with an agenda to promote in relationship to uh, news. Yeah, we, we are emotional beings, and fear and greed are, are the two worst ones, one's on each shoulder, whispering in your ear, get out now, get out now, and the other one's, you know, buy, let's, let's buy more. And so we struggle emotionally, and... Um, that becomes a, a, a big driver of why we make historically some bad decisions. And so I want to encourage our, our, our listeners to avoid the emotion of the last couple of days and rationally look at your portfolio. Go home tonight, look at your 401k, look at your IRA, look at the annuities. What, what are they doing? What are the, what are the expenses compared to what the performances that you're getting? Hey, listen, it's a good time to look at last year compared to what the market did. And, and the point is, do some homework, do some introspection. If you need help, certainly our financial planning firm can assist in reading through all that but perspective stuff, which is, might as well be written in, in Chinese, Craig. I mean, it's very difficult to understand. And uh, if you don't have the time and passion and energy to review those things, maybe you need, you need some help. And so you want to stay calm, take the emotion out of it, and if you're not uh, retiring tomorrow or, uh, you know, you don't need the money by next week, you really want to do nothing through this melees of, of excitement. Final question for you, Pat. I talked earlier about the impact of the tax cuts. Certainly the president during his State of the Union address called for a greater investment in infrastructure, uh, long overdue for that. It also raises the question then with um, potentially higher expenditures, less income because of the tax cuts. If the U.S. Treasury has to take on more debt to pay for the tax cuts and there is accelerated borrowing, what's that going to do to the bond market and, and how? How is all of that going to ultimately impact interest rates and Wall Street? Well, uh, you mentioned Alan Greenspan earlier. He just came out with an article today uh, in the Wall Street Journal that uh, he thinks the the bond market is in a bubble. Maybe not for the really short-term bonds, uh, three to six months, but beyond that, uh, we may see um, some activity there. So it's, it's looking at the rates. Will the Federal Reserve raise rates four times, as some people believe? Will it be two times? And if they're a quarter point, and if they're protracted over a year and a half, I think it's going to have a, kind of a ho-hum effect on the market. But 
let's not ignore the federal deficit is at twenty trillion dollars. I'm sorry, the the uh, the debt load is at twenty twenty trillion dollars, and if like we had in the Reagan years, where President Reagan did a very similarly kinds of activity, and we had a robust economy for the next eight or nine years, I think we're looking at a President Trump that kind of looked at the Reagan play uh, playbook, and uh, is it, we're gonna I think we're gonna have some really superlative years with lots of bumps along the way as they always are but i think the stage is set for for a really strong economy and let's not forget europe is really coming on strong we've reallocated some of our clients monies to to uh, europe given if the risk level fit it and i think uh they're about three or four years behind they didn't print money until many years later after the great recession so we're seeing some really strong opportunities uh, in Europe as well. So when Carl Carl Icahn on uh, CNBC today said the market will eventually implode, I guess we have to take that with a grain of salt, salt that eventually could be next week, next month, next year, or 10 years from now, couldn't it? Well, you know, everybody's got an opinion. Uh, let's not forget, since 2009, the, the Dow Jones has quadrupled. That's a 400% increase. Uh, hopefully, most of our listeners participated in some of that. Um, so I, I think the bigger issue is, Craig, is the geopolitical event. If we have a, a Korea issue or Iran, Iraq, name, name the tinderbox around the globe, that will spook Wall Street in a nanosecond. And I think that's the, the, uh, um, the uh, issue that we're, we, we all watch kind of in a frightening way. And hopefully uh, all those events around the globe kind of calm down so the world can have a robust growth economy, creating more jobs, more revenue for social kinds of programs so we can help those who are not as um, as blessed. And um, I think there's going to be a really good opportunity, Craig, to make some pretty, pretty good money for John and Mary Smith, who today have a lower tax bill. They're going to get a, you know, some more money in their, in their envelope this year. Uh, and all that feeds into the into the economy, and and it is suggested that three percent GDP gross domestic product is uh, is is a really good opportunity this 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 year. Of course, all of that goes back to the notion of a level-headed approach to your investing, retirement planning, having the strategy in place, things of this sort, so that you don't get swept up in the emotion of the moment or the frothiness that uh, could make you make decisions that, quite frankly, might help calm you from an emotional standpoint, but do you no good from a long-term financial planning strategy standpoint. So that means you have to have a plan, right? If you don't have a plan, well, that's going to kind of leave you out there floundering with everybody else. If you need help getting a plan put together, or maybe you'd like to get a second opinion on your existing plan, um, let me encourage you to call our good friend Pat Vitucci. He's got offices throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. He or a member of the Vitucci and Associates team, happy to meet with you. The initial consultation, I understand, is without cost or obligation. And you can get more details and information online at don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Well, Pat, we sure appreciate the update, and uh, we like it when we don't have to talk to you when things are so... (laughs) So exciting is this, but we appreciate you making the time for us today to uh, offer some insights and hopefully uh, settle some of the fears out there of our listeners. Pat Vitucci, don't invest and forget 
Don'tInvestAndForget.com. That's Don'tInvestAndForget.com. All right. Let's see what's going on out there in the world of traffic, shall we? 531. And Michael Bennett stands by with the latest on your Tuesday ride home. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation here at 536 on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. This next story is a a troubling one, and it goes to the heart of one of the things that we have been warning about for more than 20 years on this program, and that is the slow creep of the culture of death, and particularly troubling when it finds its way into the healthcare field, because let's face it, the motivation to judge quality of life and expenses and on the two sides of the scale, ultimately without impartial morale-based decisions to guide us, um, how easy is it to tip those scales in favor of, well, We're going to save all this money because, after all, the person here really doesn't have much of a hope of ever fully recovering or they're at the point in their disease, their illness, their injury, or their life where they just, quite frankly, cannot fully contribute to society and therefore are a bigger emotional burden on the family and certainly a financial burden on all of us. So would we rather just let them go peacefully and provide them so-called death with dignity then force them to hang on in a permanent vegetative state. And, of course, if you use the right sort of flowery language and intonation, you can make this sound almost uh, almost altruistic in nature, almost sound as if uh, you have the best interests of the patient at heart, when in reality it's really all about convenience and money. Well, that certainly seems to be the story of a young man who was declared brain dead in April of 2016 following an asthma attack, two-year-old child. And in spite of the fact that doctors believed he had a chance at recovery, um, they couldn't find anybody to treat him. We're going to pick up the story there as we're joined by the president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus. Brad, thanks for being with us. We understand that you are representing Joni Fonseca. Tell us a bit more about this story and ultimately what happened to her two-year-old son, Israel. Yeah, it's, it's really tragic. Uh, you know, he was brought in, had a uh, serious asthma attack and had brain damage, and uh, the hospital made a very quick knee-jerk um, Diagnosed the prognosis that the child was brain dead. They needed, uh, you know, say their goodbyes and pull the cord. So the mother, though, was was very uh, disturbed by this because whenever she would talk to a uh, little baby Israel, uh, baby Israel would would grab her finger and respond to her voice. That's not something that someone who is brain dead does. Um, so they went ahead and they contacted us at Pacific Justice, a institute, a neurologist outside specialist was brought in, did an independent exam, and determined that this was a false uh, determination about brain death. Uh, we went into, we had, they still wouldn't change their mind. The hospital was still going to pull the card. We went into uh, Superior Court in San Diego County, got a, a uh, temporary restraining order to, to halt the, the, the death of this uh, little uh, toddler, and uh, that was very successful. And the, the judge ordered to allow the child to be transferred to an alternative medical facility for treatment. 
Uh, they, the parents did, and they did uh, have the child uh, examined even further. It was very conclusive. The child had brainwave activity, and through rehab and therapy could, um, could make a comeback. Uh, and the hospital where the child was taken from, they were they contacted that hospital because it's one of the best uh, for children rehab therapy. Uh, a doctor there said, yes, bring the child back, that, uh, they, that he will do, the, do therapy. And so they did. And they took the hospital and took that doctor off the case, put another doctor on. The doctor looked at the, the file and said the child's brain dead, pulled the cord, and, and killed the child. And this is all because we don't have any kind of due process protection at all for parents. And instead, it's, it's just simply whatever the doctors say uh, they can do And uh, in terms of life and death. And we think that's very alarming. We filed a lawsuit. And it's now pending up before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to uh, to save um, the life of uh, of future people in the in the future to have greater due process protection. Well, what's scary about this case, as you suggest, Counselor, that apparently this sudden reversal by the hospital was based predominantly on the issuing of a death certificate. So you mean to tell me the state now gets a vote in all of this? The state can issue a death certificate even for somebody who is till, still technically alive? And and now what? The hospital feels compelled to make it so? Yeah, the hospital is the one who, who, who pushed and, and, uh, and the pronouncement, that pronouncement of a death certificate. And uh, they seem to just very uh, determined, the not to have this cost burden over them and to just to terminate the, 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 the life. Uh, you know, our medicine today has changed a, a, a great deal uh, in, uh, over the years and over first specifically over the last decade uh, where uh, judicial where efficiency and, and budget and cost um, often dominate um, over ethics and humanity. And this is a classic example of why we need uh, recognition that there, with, when you have a fundamental right, like the right to, to live, it must be coupled with adequate due process protection. We give that due process protection to people who are uh, allegedly criminals and they're, they're tried and they get all kinds of due process protection, um, a much greater life, right and principle of the right to life, it demands nothing less uh, to, than the opportunity for parents to, to get an outside independent analysis before making such a permanent, terminal decision on someone's life. And I've always wondered about a country that will kick about the notion of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in an effort to try and save someone's life, and yet if we lose $23 million or $100 million in a high-speed military aircraft that somebody uh, parachutes out of because they pressed the wrong button, oh, well, tax write-off. It's simply amazing, but it demonstrates the raw, moral, Judeo-Christian ethical disconnect that is driving so much of this argument, and certainly in the push towards so-called death with dignity, which I've always found an interesting statement. I mean, this is suggesting that somehow there's something undignified about death. Really, it's been a part of life since day number one. Uh, I think rather we ought to be more concerned about how we live our lives in an undignified fashion and to suggest that we should take people in a time of need and rather than doing the best for our, for them to just dispense with them because they're either an inconvenience or an expense. Well, talk about a loss of dignity. There's a loss of dignity for the living there, to be sure. Uh, we appreciate, Counselor, you not only taking up this case on behalf of 
uh, Joni Fonseca, but also uh, keeping us surprised of what develops here. Again, going back to this notion that this creep that's happening, this the slow moving of the iceberg um, uh, called the culture of death is eventually, if we don't wake up and smell the cocoa, going to consume all of us. Brad Dake is president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. More information available on the web at pji.org. That's pji.org. And our thanks to Brad Dacus for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. This next segment is a look at traffic. And with the latest, we've got Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center at 546. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, you look at the headline news of the last, my goodness, six, eight months or so, and it just seems like no matter where you turn, we're seeing incidences of racial unrest, massacres in churches, economic imbalance, social strife, on and on the list goes. Hard sometimes, perhaps, to see hope and justice and reconciliation in the midst of this turmoil. A lot of people, I think, have concluded that we're, if not in, we're certainly rapidly heading toward the end days. And meanwhile, we wonder, well, what does that mean for us from a faith perspective? How can we better find places in which not only God is working to bring about healing and restoration, but most importantly, feel as if the work, the job that we do is significant toward that end? Warren Smith joins us now, Vice President of World News Group, and perhaps you are a subscriber to his wildly popular World Magazine. He's authored more than 10 best-selling books, including the most recent, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And Warren, great to have you on the program. Great, great to be on with you. Thank you so much. It is hard sometimes not to be discouraged. And just as we sort of uh, reach the point that we seemingly have processed the significance of yet another major negative news event, uh, sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, here comes one more. And I think for a lot of people, not only do you kind of get a sense that your your hope meter is, is wearing out in all of this, but that you're, you're wondering, well, where exactly is God in all of this? And, and is there any hope in which I can play some kind of small role in engaging in some kind of significant, important change in our society today? Well, you're exactly right, Craig. And, you know, it, it, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines. That's exactly right to see um, bad news. I mean, the Supreme Court rulings have been really discouraging to a lot of Christians. Uh, we see ISIS uh, just murdering Christians all over the Middle East. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason uh, to, um, to say uh, that we live in serious times. But uh, we, uh, as Christians, are not allowed to despair. Despair is a sin. Uh, despair means we've given up hope. And, of course, Christians, of all people, should be people of hope. Uh, faith, hope, and love, Jesus said, or, or uh, uh, the Bible says, not Jesus per se, but the Bible says, or the good, good three chief Christian virtues. And so that's one of the reasons why John Stone Street and I uh, wanted to write this book, Restoring All Things, because... As we have been looking out at the world at all these negative uh, stories, we've also been, been seeing something just quite remarkable, and that has been God's people doing God's work in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And when God's people do that, when God's people just don't get distracted and continue to engage in God's work, which is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and 
loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's amazing what's happening. We've seen communities transformed. We've seen lives rebuilt. We've seen entire cities uh, transformed, as, as in the case of Atlanta or Detroit. Um, uh, Atlanta, an organization called SCS Urban Ministries, and in Detroit, a ministry called Emmanuel Temple, which are two organizations that we profile in Restoring All Things. So we wanted to tell some of those stories because we felt like Christians did need some hope in the midst of these chaotic times. So at the end of the day, is it less about the news events and more about perspective? And I, and I asked that question because, you know, when we were kids, uh, we all were raised in school to uh, to master the three basic R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Something always told me that one of those words at least was misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But from, from, a, from a Christian perspective, there's another set of three R's that I think we can't forget that, in fact, is foundational to our very faith, which is what leads me to this question about perspective, and that is another set of three R's, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration, which is foundational to God's plan for not only mankind here on earth, but certainly the role that that, uh, that Christ played in world history. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. You know, in fact, I'm glad you brought up those three R's, because there are, in fact, many more than those three R's in Scripture. We, in fact, we begin, near the beginning of the book, we talk about the rewords of Scripture, and you've mentioned three of them uh, there. Uh, too often, however, Christians focus on another set of R's, which are words like rebuke and resist and uh, engage in those activities that um, are trying to hold back the tide of chaos. Whereas uh, I think if we focus more on the three R's that you mentioned, R's like reconciliation and restoration and redemption, uh, we, we become people who um, not only are actively engaged in the work that God is calling us to do, this, this activity of, of restoring all things to himself, but we are also presenting a witness to the world that I think they will find compelling. You know, it's, it's one thing... Um, to say that Jesus saves and Jesus uh, transforms and Jesus redeems. But if our lives don't show that, Craig, it's, that argument is not convincing. That declaration of the gospel, however true, is not convincing. But whenever we are actively engaged in the process of reconciliation, not only are we declaring the gospel, but we are demonstrating the gospel in our lives. And I think that's a much more convincing proclamation of the gospel. Well, in many respects, too, don't we find that message uh, far more impactful in the middle of chaos? And and I ask that question because, you know, let's use the example of the lives of any of us. If we pause for a moment and think, you know, if, if you were doing well, you married the perfect wife or husband, you had the perfect job, you had the perfect amount of money in the bank, you had perfect health, uh, all of it, a lot of people could argue, well, you know, for what do I really need God here, at least on earth? I mean, yeah, that fire insurance thing on the other side, yeah, that works out okay. But here in the here and now, I'm doing pretty well. But for most of us, our testimony is that in the midst of the pain, the agony, the chaos, when our life seemed to be falling apart uh, right before our eyes, there stepped in God with a message of healing and reconciliation and redemption. And so oftentimes, doesn't God work best in the middle of the chaos that sometimes we as Christians try to push back against and prevent from happening? And I wonder if sometimes we might accidentally be short-circuiting God's plan, because in the midst of that chaos, doesn't his grace shine the brightest? 
Well, I, all I can say to that, Craig, is amen and well said. Uh, you know, and, and, and throughout history, I think not only in our own individual lives, which you've just identified, but throughout history, we have found the Christian Church thriving whenever the world around it was in chaos. We tell stories, for example, uh, from the 2nd and 3rd century, whenever the great plagues, um, uh, diseases, were just just ravaging cities, and people were running out of the cities uh, into the rural areas just to keep themselves away from danger and disease. But it was the Christians who ran into the cities to care for the sick and the dying, many times sacrificing their own lives in that process. But it was such a powerful witness that we saw Christianity spread dramatically in the second and third centuries. Uh, Even recently in the Ebola epidemic that we saw in Africa, uh, I was amazed at the doctors that that, um, got Ebola and that were put into the quarantine, and a couple of them even died as a result of their work there. And whenever I found out about their biographies, one doctor after another, one healthcare worker after another, were committed Christians working in that environment because they were motivated by the love of Christ and love for their neighbor. So this has been the story of the Christian church. I think it's a story that we sometimes do tend to forget in our prosperity here in America, but uh, it's one that we need to remember. Well, especially since at the core, if we talk about this from the, the viewpoint of it being a message of redemption, it suggests that there needs to be something from which one is being redeemed, does it not? Yeah. I mean, yeah, is, is, the, is the message of heaven all that powerful a one, uh, absence the existence of hell? I, I, would, I would suggest probably not. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the great theologian F.F. F. Bruce, Bruce once said that uh, the, an, an understanding of sin is the beginning of salvation. And, uh, you know, it's important that we do um, understand that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and it's it's awful, also easy for us Christians to get a little self-righteous about where we sit versus our neighbor. But, you know, our neighbor, Jesus died for our neighbors, even the one, the neighbor that we don't like, you know, just as much as Jesus died for us. So I think that, um, you know, what you just said there is such a powerful component of this whole uh, understanding of a Christian worldview, which is that we do live in a fallen world, but that God loves us so much that he sent his son, and when we accept him as Savior and are redeemed from our own sins, we get to participate with him in this process that uh, the New Testament describes as restoring all things uh, to its former glory. No, I, I wonder out loud if sometimes maybe this is not a, an example of um, spiritual laziness, maybe even a little bit of spiritual haughtiness, um, that sense of reveling in the bunker mentality that, well, everybody's against me, woe is me, look the way that they're attacking me, and so uh, we're doing uh, perhaps a yeoman's job at playing the victim here. Um, and so maybe some people sort of revel in all of that as opposed to saying, look, in the midst of all this turmoil, we've got some work to do. And uh, in the midst of this turmoil, God can do some amazing things in terms of extending that message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in and through me. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Warren Smith, Vice President of World News Group, publisher of World Magazine, author of more than a dozen best-selling books. We're talking about uh, finding God's redemption in the midst of a chaotic world. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.